I was originally told the story by my uncle who lives in Switzerland and claims he read it in a local newspaper. However, the story could easily be as old as Oatsy the Iceman, 5,000 years. When I told it to a friend, he said the story was originally told by the Buddha. Now, as far as I can tell, the Buddha died quite a long time before English schoolchildren started going to Switzerland for Easter skiing holidays. Although it's entirely possible that my uncle made up the bit about the English schoolchildren to impress me. I may be wrong about the age of the Buddha. I've been wrong before, or my uncle may take after his father, my grandfather, who, like newspaper editors, prone to letting the truth get in the way of a good story, or indeed, by all accounts, any story. That doesn't mean my grandfather's stories were all untrue. It eventually turned out quite a lot of the least believable ones were very true. The lesson here is, just because a story is good and not very plausible, doesn't mean it isn't true. Equally, just because a story is quite plausible but isn't very good doesn't make it true. Alternatively, if a story is good and plausible, it may or may not be true. If you were of a Boolean turn of mind, which my uncle definitely is, having spent most of his life as a consultant to IBM Switzerland, you could draw up a truth table for this. But in this case, it won't help. Some stories are true and some are not. Some stories are good and some are not. Some stories are believable and some aren't. There's no connection between these statements that can be inferred by computer logic or indeed deduced by Sherlock Holmes. In the case of this story, it really makes no difference at all whether it's true or not. It's definitely plausible and it's up to you to decide whether or not it's good. To return to somewhere near the plot, if any of you happen to meet the Buddha and he is alive and claims it's his story, please tell him to contact me personally and I will give him full credit for it. I am even prepared to discuss the sharing of royalties. However, if he's dead, I will not discuss anything. Nor if he's undead. My religion does not permit sharing of royalties with zombies. I consulted a prominent religious authority about this very matter quite recently in connection with a different podcast. So, without a lot of further ado, here is the actual story as told by my uncle. I was staying at a hotel in French-speaking Switzerland on business. He normally lives near Zurich, in German-speaking Switzerland. On the notice board was a notice in English with the heading Always tie your shoelaces, written above it in felt-tipped pen. And then these typed words. There were five boys in our party, all experienced skiers. We were heading out for the last day of skiing before our return to England. We'd been up on the high slope of the Pico mountain for most of the day. We'd gone there because it was near the end of the season and the snow low down was no longer very good. It was the last chance we'd get to ski for another year. The weather was wonderful and we'd had a great day skiing. Eventually we were very tired and it was time to return home. We walked along in a single line I was last, keeping an eye on the others, just as well because Brian Perkins was lagging behind. He was absolutely exhausted, and one of his bootlaces were undone. I noticed the lace and shouted at him, Tie your shoelaces, boy, in the style of an old-fashioned public schoolmaster. They all laughed by the way I said it, and turned to look. Brian dropped his equipment, bent down, removed his gloves, and began to tie the lace, 
rather slowly because his fingers were very cold. Anyway, we retired too, and a few moments' rest was quite welcome, even though we were in sight of the hotel. Suddenly, there was a terrifying roar, which just got louder and louder. A huge avalanche came down the side of the Pico, only about 50 yards in front of us. We were all really scared it was so close. Bits of stray snow sprinkled all over us, but we called to each other and no one was hurt. I told them all to stay close together and wait because we could easily trigger another avalanche and the rescue people would be there very soon. Indeed, it was less than 30 minutes before they arrived on snowmobiles and took us to the rescue centre. Signed, Alan Berwin, 30th of March, 1986. Obviously, this story made a big impression on everyone who stayed in the hotel. The hotel staff delighted in pointing it out to all the guests. It also had a big impact on the local population. Everyone who lived in the village knew the story. However, when my uncle returned to the village the following year, he stayed at a different hotel, a few miles away. In this hotel, there was a surprisingly similar notice board, but this time in French, which I will translate for you. There were five boys in the party, all experienced skiers. We were heading out for the last day of skiing before our return to France. We'd been high up on the slope of the Vadou mountain for most of the day. We'd gone there because it was near the end of the season and the snow low down was no longer very good. It was our last chance for some very good skiing before we returned to France. The weather was wonderful and we had a wonderful day skiing. Eventually we were tired and it was time to return home. We walked along in a single line with myself following behind to keep an eye on the rest. Just as well because Pierre Boucher was lagging behind the rest of us. He was absolutely exhausted and one of his bootlaces was undone. I noticed the lace and shouted at him, Never mind the lace, just keep walking, in the style of a sergeant major in the Foreign Legion. They all laughed the way I said it and turned to look. Pierre stood up straight and began to march boldly in the face of his suffering like a good legionnaire. Anyway, we were tired too and keen to get back to the hotel. Suddenly, there was a terrifying roar which just got louder and louder. A huge avalanche came down the side of the Vadou, which was only about 50 metres behind us. We were all really scared. It was so close. Bits of stray snow sprinkled all over us, but we called to each other and no one was hurt. I told everyone to stay close because the mountain rescue team would be there very soon. Indeed, it was less than 30 minutes before they arrived on snowmobiles and took us to the rescue centre. Etienne Leclerc, 28th of March, 1987. We thought about this for the most of the evening, over a glass of cognac or two. If you read one of these stories, you could easily end up being persuaded to do the wrong thing. It's not important whether you tie your shoelaces or whether you don't. What is important is to do the right thing. This may, of course, require you to stay in a lot of Swiss hotels, read all the notices and drink lots of cognac. It's tough work, but somebody has to do it. And, as they say on the internet, I'm staying in the hotels and drinking the cognac so you don't have to. You, of course, can stay at home and use Google instead, if that's your choice. Personally, I prefer cognac to Google, but maybe that's just me and my uncle and some other relatives or our acquaintances. Salut! A bientôt!